I'm Bob Carr, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to an ACRI podcast. Today I'm joined by Colin McCarris, a world-renowned Australian sinologist. He's the Emeritus Professor at Griffith University, Fellow of the Australian Academy of the Humanities and an officer in the Order of Australia. He first visited China in 1964. He since visited the country over 70 times. He completed a PhD at the Australian National University in 1970 on the rise of Peking Opera. His many research interests include Chinese modern history, theatre, ethnic minorities, Western images of China and Australia-China relations. And his most recent book is Western Perspectives on the People's Republic of China, which we will be discussing today. We'll also talk about recent developments in and the future of Australia-China relations. Welcome to the program, Colin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, your book is called Western Perspectives on the People's Republic of China. Um, Dramatic changes in those perceptions held in the West of the People's Republic since 1949. Yeah, dramatic, uh, dramatic changes. The book takes a thematic approach. It deals with um, foreign policy images, political images, but also social images, economic images and things like that. And there's a chapter on the ethnic minorities. But the way it's designed, it certainly does show the enormous changes and it shows, it tries to analyse why the changes have taken place. And um, I have reached the conclusion that there's a great deal of politics in the way the West sees um, China. Well, for example, is it a shock? Do you think it's a shock to... Historically, white Australia, colonial society, a settler society, linked very strongly to the United States, that without reference to us, China is rising to some version of greatness. And it's happening in ways that were speculated about, but it seems to be happening in a rush. It seems to be happening in a rush. And has that shocked us? um, I think um, Australians are quite shocked by this. I think they're not all unhappy about it because there's a lot of um, things to gain from this. I mean, there's been the, the sort of um, dichotomy of fear and greed that people have talked about. Um, but I think the, um, the way in which uh, Australians relate to China, China and Chinese people, um, some of them have done it very well, I think. I mean, it's, it hasn't been an altogether painful process, I think, uh, but I do think that we haven't gone nearly far enough in, in engaging with the Chinese um, and in learning their languages, they, especially the main language, of course, Chinese, spoken Chinese, Putonghua. Um, um, and I think we need to do more about uh, learning about Chinese culture. But in, in a direct answer to your question, I think that we are very, very different culturally from the Chinese. And it's always, I mean, it's never quite as easy to interrelate with people of totally different cultures as it is with a similar, people with a similar culture. Now, my view, for what it's worth, is that there's no conceivable reason why different cultures should make it more you know, impossible or more difficult to interrelate with a, another country that has a different culture. But experience seems to show that it is quite difficult. And you've got to make an effort. You've got to understand other cultures. You've got to understand where they're coming from. And I think that's really important too. I had a group of Chinese historians in my office and I made some facile reference to the fact that we've got different expectations, we think differently. And they agreed with me emphatically, too emphatically for my comfort. They said, yes, we do. We, we, we think differently, we've got different perspectives. What is the, the biggest gap in the view of the universe held by Australians and held by Chinese? 
I think the biggest gap is um, related to the history of the two countries. Um, I think the fact is that China's been through a very, very painful period. Um, it's suffered, uh, in most respects, I think, from you know, colonialism and imperialism and, and being treated as an inferior by the Western countries um, against a context where it feels that it should be a leader in, in the world because it's got such a large culture um, and such an ancient culture. Uh, and I think it uh, feels that there's, uh, it's been quite humiliated over that period. Now, as for Australia, of course, we come from our, our culture is dominantly British um, and also European, but now we've become a multicultural country and, and that's a good thing. Um, but I think the experiences of the two, I mean, we've never been occupied, you know. I, mean, I suppose it depends how you define them. I mean, an Aboriginal, you might say we have been occupied, but... Um, I mean, Australia's experience has just been so easy by comparison with China's. Um, I think that, that that accounts to a large extent for the differences in which we see the world. It's striking to me that China has become so quickly the dominant power in Southeast Asia. Opinion polls show that that is how Southeast Asians see it. Polls of the attitudes of the leaders, polls of mass public opinion show that people just think China is in the region and it's going to be more important. Yeah. Only a tiny number would say the US is going to be more important yeah, than yeah, China. Yeah. Um, but is it is it a bit of a trauma for Australians looking north? All of a sudden, there's no there's no dominant English speaking maritime power between us and a big Asian country. Well, I mean, in a sense, it is a trauma, but I think it's a reality that we have to get used to. Um, I think it's reality we should prepare ourselves for, and we can do that by learning more about China, learning Chinese language more, um, and, and um, also understanding the way in which not only China, but Asia and Asians um, see the world. I mean, yes, there certainly is a trauma. I mean, the fact is that change is traumatic, whatever you do, whatever, whatever the circumstances. But, I mean, change is inevitable in, in other ways. And I don't think it's a bad thing that um, China is rising. I mean, I think it's, I think it's in a way, it's natural if you if you look at history. I mean, if you consider the fact that um, I mean the European intervention. I don't want to bag European culture, by the way. I love European culture, and I don't want Australia to give up, um, you know, British institutions like democracy and the university system and all those things, the law system. Um, I think those are, those are great things. Um, but the fact is that. Um, it was not until, you know, quite recently in the last couple of centuries, two or three centuries, especially the 18th, I suppose, the 17th century, that Europe um, gained a predominance over the rest of the world uh, and um, became so dominant that, um, they, that, that you almost come to think their values are the right values and, and people who don't share their values uh, are no good, you know, or in some way inferior, because I think that is a dominant feeling. It's a dominant sort of idea, um, but it's also quite a recent idea. And I think um, the way the world is changing at the moment, it's, it is that's going to change, and um, it, it may be traumatic, but I think we have to be prepared for that. What do you think of the Hugh White thesis that America has got to <coughs> forego dominance in Asia and live with shared leadership with China? Well, I mean, I know it's controversial, but I think he's got a point, to be honest. I think that um, if you look at the big balance of the way the world is developing, 
I mean, I compare with 50 years ago when I first started going to China. Um, it was just so different from now. And although the US is still preeminent, I think its, its preeminence is not nearly so marked. It's not nearly so dominant um, as it used to be. Um, should, it give, should it forego some kind of leadership? Well, I mean, I think such things have happened before. I mean, that happened um, after the Napoleonic Wars in, in, uh, in Europe. I don't know whether it worked out that well, mind you, but it did. Uh, there was an attempt to, to do that. Um, and I think it would be, it would be useful to, to try and do that. Now, why? What is the alternative? The alternative is clash. We, we, I'm not going to predict a war between, uh, between the US and China. I hope there's no war. But, I mean, there have been lots of people who have predicted it. Um, but I think it's better to sort of think in advance and talk about it. Um, I mean, people have tried to do that. I mean, I think Kissinger tried to do that. Um, I think he had a, a measure of success, actually, over quite a, over quite a long period. I don't see why America shouldn't forego some extent of leadership and try and share with others, especially with China. Kissinger said recently that America's got to be able to practice and reflect its unique character, leaving space and acknowledging China's aspiration to have to fulfil the China dream. American yeah. exceptionalism and the China dream ought to be able to live in some sort of concert. I think that's right, yeah. They ought to be able to. Yeah. What do you think of the panics we get into in Australia? Um, we've got 130,000 Chinese students here, and recently there have been headlines about them being spies who are trying to control the system. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. What is the evidentiary base for saying these things about Chinese students? The Chinese students I see around the place are committed to their studies. They like Australia. They're not agitating a Chinese foreign policy line, in my experience. I haven't met any who are doing that. But for God's sake, if they, they say to a university lecturer, you, you, you put material up that suggested Taiwan was a country, we disagree with that. One, they're entitled to say it. They're entitled to disagree with the lecturer. The great God professor has got to confront students who disagree with him. And second, they might just be right. That's effectively the Australian and the American position, mm. effectively, that Taiwan is not mm. a country. Mm. Are we getting into a panic, some sort of moral panic, about a, a tiny number of incidents, given the, the, the huge number of Chinese students? Well, my, my direct answer is yes, we are. And I think it is extremely unfortunate. I mean, as for the, the Chinese students, the ones I talk to, uh, uh, they want to just get on with their work. They're certainly not. I mean, I had some conversation with um, some students, Chinese students, and just at lunchtime today, and when I told them what Julie Bishop had been saying about the, the whole situation, they simply laughed. And I said, is that ridiculous? And they said, well, it's not exactly ridiculous, but they have never, it never occurred to them that this might be the case. There have been four incidents, and I'm not going to cast judgments, but four, when there are so many students, it's, it just seems to me it's, it's just not an issue. Yeah, sometimes I look at those headlines and... God knows how many there have been and what ponderous comments there have been from Australian leaders and others about how we must stay loyal to our values. We're under such, under mm. such terrible pressure mm. in our universities. And there's hardly a scrap of evidence of Chinese students yeah. doing the wrong thing. Exactly. Again, in the, when I've met Chinese students, they've never spoken 
yeah. about a Chinese perspective on foreign policy. But if they were to, it's a sort of give and take we can tolerate. Exactly. I mean, when she says that they've got to, if they don't subscribe to Australian values, they shouldn't come here, which she did say, according to the report I saw, um, that seems to me to imply that they're the only ones who are not entitled to freedom of thought. Yes, indeed. Well, yeah. why shouldn't yeah. they have... Yeah. Do, do we adopt the same standard of uh, students here from uh, the Gulf, for example? Well... Or from um, students question. here from Russia or the United States? Do we find offensive that uh, there might be some students here who adhere to Donald Trump and his America, America First agenda? Yeah. Anyway, leave that aside. Are you, are you optimistic or pessimistic about our capacity to pull off this, this challenge which in my view shouldn't be that, that hard, of having a robust, national interest-based, pragmatic Australia-China policy? Um, just at the moment, I'm not particularly optimistic because I see signs that are, well, I think very unfortunate, especially this, this one we've just been talking about, which seems to me to be just so biased, so one-sided, you know. You, the fact is that whenever somebody comes to live in, an, in another culture, it's always difficult at first. I mean, I found that when I went to, to live in China. I found it very difficult to start with. You know, but you adapt. But as for the more basic question, um, are we going to make a big breakthrough towards not being so dependent on the United States, being more open to China, being more open to Asia in general, this wrenching shift, um, I think it will come. Um, I must admit I'm not sure that it will come immediately because neither of the main political parties seems to be very open and be very prepared to make this shift. But I think it's, um, it's likely the pressures are likely to be coming more and more um, as time goes on. And I, I think it would be indefinitely in our national interests. Um, and I think that as time goes on, it's going to seem to more and more people to be in, in our national interests. Well, I hope that's right. Um, so basically, but, I am. Yeah, 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 OK, well, that's, 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 that's encouraging to hear. I think the, the question is, are we entitled, in the context of our alliance with the United States, to dare to have our own policy towards China, yeah. as opposed to one that's been scripted in Washington? And I think if an Australian Prime Minister said to a US Ambassador or Secretary of State, look... Look, we host crucial American facilities on Australian soil. We have US Marines come and, and train here and conduct exercises here, and we're buying 12 submarines, which pleases you very much. And when you ask for it, we're putting advisors and an air force and training troops in the Middle East, in a difficult theatre in Iraq. But we really think we ought to be able to show a bit of independence and flexibility when it comes to running China policy, you know, the, you know, the American response would be, oh, well, mate, that's, uh, you know, you're, you're a good ally. You're a good ally. Good yeah. ally. Yep. That's, that's, that's their view. That's yeah. their view. That, that, that'd be very pragmatic about it. Yeah. And I think there have been cases in the past where we have done things, um, you know, that are directly contrary to what the Americans wanted. I mean, even under the Menzies government, for example, we traded with China at a time when they yep. were completely opposed to trading with China, yep. um, even to the extent that if you bought something in Hong Kong and you, and you wanted to take it to the United States, you had to have a certificate that it didn't originate in, in the People's Republic. 
<laughs> I mean, they were they were so so narrow about. It's that. just one of the American pathologies, like Cuba, yeah, like Cuba, and exactly. they've got over it in respect of China. But I think you're right, and I think I, I can't see why it shouldn't happen, and I hope it will happen, um, and I certainly think it should happen. Colin McKeros, it's wonderful to have you in this podcast answering questions about Australia-China relations, and uh, and speaking at an ACRI event, which I think is going to be very interesting and and certainly well attended. Thank, Thank you. you very Thank much. Thank you, Colin. Thank McCurris. you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the ACRI podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. To find out more about ACRI's research and events, visit our website, australiachinarelations.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ACRI underscore UTS. Thanks for listening. Thank you.